Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Vayigash, does my father love me? It's one of the great questions we naturally ask each time we read the story of Joseph. Why didn't he at some time during their 22-year separation send word to his father that he was alive? For part of that time, when he was a slave in Potiphar's house and then when he was in prison, it would have been impossible, but certainly he could have done so when he became the second most powerful person in Egypt. At the very least, he could have done so when the brothers came before him on their first journey to buy food. Joseph knew how much his father loved him. He must have known how much their separation grieved him. He didn't know and couldn't know what Jacob thought had happened to him. But this he surely knew that it was his duty to communicate with him when the opportunity arose to tell his father that he was alive and well. Why then didn't he? The following explanation is a tantalizing possibility. The story of Joseph's descent into slavery and exile began when his father sent him alone to see how the brothers were faring. We read his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. What does the narrative tell us immediately prior to this episode? It tells us about the second of Joseph's dreams. In the first, he dreamt that he and his brothers were in the field binding sheaves. His stood upright while the sheaves of his brothers bowed down to him. Naturally, when he told them about the dream, they were angry. Do you intend to reign over us? Would you rule over us? There's no mention of Jacob in relation to the first dream. The second dream was different. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And then immediately we read of Jacob sending Joseph alone to his brothers. And it was there at that meeting far from home that they plotted to kill him. They lowered him into a pit and eventually they sold him as a slave. Joseph had many years to reflect on that episode. That his brothers were hostile to him, he knew. But surely Jacob knew this as well. In which case, why did he send Joseph to them? Didn't Jacob contemplate the possibility that they might do him harm? Didn't he know the dangers of sibling rivalry? Didn't he contemplate at least the possibility that by sending Joseph to them, he was risking Joseph's life? No one knew this better from personal experience, because Jacob himself had been forced to leave home because his brother Esau threatened to kill him once he discovered that Jacob had taken his blessing. Recall, too, that when Jacob was about to meet Esau again, after a lapse of 22 years, he was in great fear and distress, believing that his brother would try to kill him. 
That fear provoked one of the great crises of Jacob's life. So Jacob knew better than anyone else in Genesis that hate can lead to killing, that sibling rivalry carries with it the risk of fratricide. Yet Jacob sent Joseph to his other sons, knowing that they were jealous of him and hated him. Joseph presumably knew these facts. What else could he conclude? As he reflected on the events that led up to his sale as a slave, that Jacob had deliberately placed him in this danger. Why? Because of the immediately prior event when Joseph had told his father that the sun and moon, presumably his father and mother, would bow down to him. This angered Jacob, and Joseph knew it. His father had rebuked him. It was outrageous to suggest that his parents would prostrate themselves before him. It was wrong to imagine it, all the more to say it, besides which, who was the moon? Joseph's mother, Rachel, the great love of Jacob's life, was dead. Presumably then he was referring to Leah. But the very mention of the sun and moon and eleven stars must have brought back to his father the pain of Rachel's death. Joseph knew he'd provoked his father's wrath. What else could he conclude but that Jacob had deliberately put his life at risk? Joseph did not communicate with his father because he believed his father no longer wanted to see him or hear from him. His father had terminated the relationship. That was a reasonable influence from the facts as Joseph knew them. He couldn't have known that Jacob still loved him that his brothers had deceived their father by showing him Joseph's blood-stained cloak, and that his father mourned for him, refusing to be comforted. We know these facts because the Torah tells us, but Joseph, far away in another land, serving as a slave, could not have known. This places the story in a completely new and tragic light. Is there any supporting evidence for this interpretation? Well, there is. Joseph must have known that his father was capable of being angered by his sons, because he'd seen it twice before. The first time was when Shimon and Levi killed the inhabitants of Shechem after their prince had raped and abducted their sister Dina. Jacob bitterly reprimanded them, saying, You brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number. And if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. So Jacob cut off relationships with Shimon and Levi. The second happened after Rachel died. We read, while Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. As we've seen earlier, according to the sages, Reuben merely moved his father's bed, but Jacob believed that his son had slept with his own handmaid, an act of usurpation. As a result of these two episodes, Jacob virtually broke off contact with his three eldest sons. He was still angry with them at the end of his life, cursing them instead of blessing them. Of Reuben, he said, unstable as water, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Of his second and third sons, he said, Shimon and Levi are brothers, their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. 
Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So Joseph knew that Jacob was capable of anger at his children and of terminating his relationships with them. That is why, of course, in the absence of Joseph, Judah, became, Judah uh, Jacob's fourth son, became the key figure because Jacob no longer trusted his three eldest. And there's evidence of another kind as well. When Joseph was appointed second in command in Egypt, and uh, was given the name Tsofnas Paneach and married an Egyptian wife, Osnat, he had his first child. We then read, Joseph named his firstborn Menasheh, saying it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. Uppermost in Joseph's mind was the desire to forget the past. Not just his brother's conduct towards him, but all my father's house. Why so, if not that he associated all my trouble, not just with his siblings, but also with his father Jacob. Joseph believed that his father had deliberately put him at his brother's mercy because, angered by the second dream, he no longer wanted contact with the son he had once loved. That is why he never sent a message to Jacob that he was still alive. If this is so, it sheds new light on the great opening scene of Vayigash, what was it in Judah's speech that made Joseph break down in tears and finally reveal his identity to his brothers? One answer is that Judah, by asking that he be held as a slave so that Benjamin could go free, showed that he'd done tshuva. He was a penitent. He was no longer the same person who had sold Joseph into slavery. I've argued elsewhere that that's a central theme of the entire narrative. It's a story about repentance and forgiveness. But we can now offer a second interpretation. Judah says words that for the first time allow Joseph to understand what had actually occurred 22 years previously. Judah is recounting what happened after the brothers returned from their first journey to buy food in Egypt. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we can't go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said he has surely been torn to pieces, and I haven't seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. At that moment, Joseph realised that his fear that his father had rejected him was quite unwarranted. On the contrary, he had been bereft when Joseph didn't return. He believed that he'd been torn to pieces, killed by a wild animal. His father still loved him and still grieved for him. Against this background, we can better understand Joseph's reaction to this disclosure. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Jo Joseph's first thought isn't about Judah or about Benjamin, but about Jacob. A doubt he had harboured 
for 22 years turned out to be unfounded. Hence his first question, is my father still alive? Is this the only possible interpretation of the story? Clearly not, but it's a possibility. In which case we can now set the Joseph narrative in two other thematic contexts, which play a large part in Genesis as a whole. The first is tragic misunderstanding. We think here of at least two other episodes. The verse has to do with Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac, you remember, loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. At least one possible explanation offered by a Barbanel is that Rebekah had been told by God before the twins were born that the elder will serve the younger. Hence her attachment to Jacob, the younger, and her determination that he, not Esau, should have Isaac's blessing. The other concerns Jacob and Rachel. Rachel had stolen her father's teraphim, icons or household gods, when they left Laban to return to the land of Canaan. She didn't tell Jacob that she had done so. The text says explicitly Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. When Laban pursued and caught up with them, he accused Jacob's party of having stolen them. And Jacob indignantly denies this and says, if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. Several chapters later, we read that Rachel died prematurely on the way. The possibility hinted at by the text and articulated by Midrash and by Rashi is that unwittingly Jacob had condemned her to death. In both cases, misunderstanding flowed from a failure of communication. Had Rebecca told Isaac about the oracle, had Rachel told Jacob about the Teraphim, tragedy might have been averted. Judaism is a religion of holy words. And one of the themes of Genesis as the whole is the power of speech to create, mislead, harm, or heal. From Cain and Abel to Joseph and his brothers, about whom it says they hated him and couldn't speak peaceably to him, we are shown how when words fail, violence begins. The other theme, even more poignant, has to do with fathers and sons. How did Isaac feel towards Abraham, knowing that he had lifted a knife to sacrifice him? How did Jacob feel towards Isaac, knowing that he loved Esau more than him? How did Leah's sons feel about Jacob, knowing that he loved Rachel and her children more? Does my father really love me? That's a question we feel must have arisen in each of these cases. And now we see that there's a strong case for supposing that Joseph too must have asked himself the same question. Psalm 27 says, Though my father and mother may forsake me, the Lord will receive me. That's a line that resonates throughout Genesis. No one did more than Sigmund Freud to place this at the heart of human psychology. For Freud, the Oedipus complex, the tension between fathers and sons, is the single most powerful determinant of the psychology of the individual and of religion as a whole. Freud, however, took as his key text a Greek myth, not the narratives of Genesis. Had he turned to Torah instead, he would have seen that this fraught relationship can have a non-tragic resolution. Abraham did love Isaac. Isaac did place Jacob a second time, this time knowing he was Jacob. Jacob did love Joseph. And transcending all these human loves is divine love rescuing us from feelings of rejection 
and redeeming the human condition from tragedy. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org/cc family edition. Thank you.